I'm Russ White at the Network Collective, and this is a Network Collective Short Take. In this short take, I'm being joined by Tom Ammon to talk about peering and resources in the default free zone. Let's continue our conversation about BGP peering and BGP internet type stuff. So let's talk about peering types. Now, this is very confusing for people, and probably because I use the terms differently than other people do. That's okay. We just do this. Um, let's talk about transit, private, and public peering. So tell me something about transit. What does transit mean to you when, when somebody says I'm transit peering? So, so transit or IP transit is you – Basically, the way I see it is you you pay a service provider to give you access to the global internet via a partial route table or a full internet routing table. But but basically, you're saying I want to I want a default path out to the internet. If I can't find it through some other path, then I want to fall back to you, my IP transit provider. And generally, it's metered, meaning generally you're paying based on usage, based on the 95th percentile. Generally, it's not always like that. Uh, and generally, there's some sort of commit that goes with it. You you need to send a certain amount of bandwidth to get the price that you agreed to, and things like this. Um, so that's, I guess, my definition of IP transit. Okay. Now, now, this doesn't necessarily mean that you are a um, an enterprise. I don't like that term. <laughs> an enterprise edge customer, uh, tier one, not tier one, but tier three or, or edge providers and content providers can also buy transit. Mm-hmm. Um, upstream so it's any yep. upstream downstream relationship people seem to seem to want to confine it to not not AT&T and Comcast peering or something like that but it, it, it applies to any downstream upstream relationship basically where you're providing where the upstream is providing access to eyeballs and services that the downstream can't get to without that upstream essentially Right, right. And every, I mean, tier two providers absolutely pay for IP transit. They have to. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm just trying to expand a little bit because some people like get the wrong idea about what transit, mm. like they, they make the definition a little bit too narrow. So what about private peering? Tell me about private peering. Private peering is when you're, when you're physically co- in a, in the same data center space as a network that you want to connect to. So, um, a classic example of this is if, if you're in a network with like LinkedIn or Google or, or Amazon, uh, any of these large um, content or cloud service providers, uh, they, it's, it's been your, both of your best interests to send your traffic directly to each other rather than both of you paying a, a transit provider to send those bits. There's, there's no need. You, so it's just a, sort of an efficiency mechanism. It saves everybody a little bit of money on IP transit and it gives you a more direct path. So a private peer is when you say, hey, Google, I want to peer with you. Uh, here, I'm going to run a f- cable between my router and your router, and it's just for us, and it's not shared with anybody, and, and that that's the relationship. So I, I think I would expand that, too, a little bit and say that even if AT&T and Verizon, say, two tier ones or something like that, want to peer privately, they sometimes do sure. that. And it's, and it's non-settlement, right? They don't pay each other for right. that, right? Right. Yeah. yeah, the terms the terms you'll hear there are SFI for settlement free interconnect. Uh, another term you hear is PNI for private uh, for uh, private network interconnect. Right. Yeah. Right. Because it doesn't and accounting wise, it just doesn't make any sense if you're going to buy each other's services, especially if you're sending a similar amount of traffic. Yeah. Like, why would you charge them a thousand dollars and then pay them a thousand dollars? This person you're appearing with. So yeah, I saw this really funny cartoon about a woman who was um, selling a thousand dollars worth of jewelry a month and buying a thousand dollars worth of cosmetics a month or something like that. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like the guy who 
who pays somebody to cut his lawn and then then fixes the lawnmower for the same amount of money or something like that. You know, it's like, no, this is all flat. Why am I even bothering <laughs> the money? It's like Christmas presents, right? Everybody right. gives everybody the same amount of money. So it's like, why? <laughs> we all open our presents and go, oh, look, it's the money. It's the same amount of money I gave you. It's kind of silly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my, in my family, it's gift cards. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. you give me a gift card for $20, I'll give you a gift card for $20. Okay, exactly. I should have just told you, go to the store. <laughs> That's exactly right. It'd be a lot faster. So what about public peering? Tell me about public peering. Public peering is, is an interesting um, little ecosystem. It's not little anymore. Um, the idea of public peering is that an independent entity provides a layer two fabric for you to plug into. Um, but they also offer that fabric to everybody else that's in that physical space. So if you think of any of the, any of the data, most of the data centers that, um, that enterprise customers co-locate in, there's going to be uh, some sort of IXP, um, inter-exchange provider. This is public peering. So the idea is you all plug into this fabric and then you have access at layer two to anybody else who plugged into the fabric. So if there's 30 other people there and you're interested in peering with two of them, well, you have a layer two path now. You can set up a BGP session across that fabric and it's a shared medium, but everybody benefits and the medium, the, uh, I, the peering fabrics are generally well taken care of. And so uh, it's a great way at very low cost to get act direct access to lots of other people who might uh, be interested in peering with you. Oh, cool. Cool. So now let's talk about IRs, regional internet registries. So what is an IR and why are they around? Like what do they do? So they're, they're stewards of internet resources, uh, chiefly IP addresses, but also autonomous system numbers. They're like, they're like the butler. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they might take some offense to that. <laughs> Here, sir, here's your slash 22. <laughs> oh, yeah. So they're, they're the ones who, um, they regulate the, um, the use. So you can't just go and say, I want as much as I want. Um, like in the, the good old days when you could say, I, I want a slash eight, just give it to me. Um, there, there has to be some entity to control this number resource because in the case of IPv4, it's very finite uh, and a scarce at this point. So anyway, they're stewards of number resources and they will, the, you, they have an application process that you'll go through um, to get ad, IP addresses. Um, and, not, and not just IP addresses, right? ASN. Right. ASNs. Other, other things as well, I think. Yeah. Right. Other things that they, that they have resources for. The two biggies are IP addresses and ASNs, if that's what you're after. Um, right. So, and, they're also the, and they're also the stewards of uh, services like Whois and Arhuis. Um, they're, since they're the ones who register everybody, they're in the best position to give uh, a public database of what's been assigned to who. So. Okay, cool. So what about an LIR? Now, most people know what IRs, RIRs are, they, or some do, but LIRs are, are kind of unusual, and a lot of people don't even know what that means. Yeah, so it's a, so it's a local internet registry. Uh, generally, this is... Uh, an ISP, uh, just for a practical definition. It's somebody who assigns address space to somebody else. So if you go to, um, if you go to your favorite ISP and you say, I want a slash 29 with my business circuit, they will give it to you. They're performing the function of an LIR. So generally they'll make you fill out a little form. What are you going to use these, these IP addresses for? Uh, and they're assigned, they're, they're assigning to you for your use, I should say, um, that block of IP addresses. They're sort of doing the internet registry function uh, on your behalf. Oh, and yeah. so, okay. <clears throat> yeah. So, so they sub-allocate basically. So if they get a slash eight, they might sub-allocate to a slash 
you know, 24 or something like that. Or the V6, maybe they get a slash 60 or a slash 70 or something, a slash 72 or something. They're allocating, you know, whatever it is. Maybe they get 48 and they're allocating slash 60s or something. Right. Might be. I think it would be good to just give some real examples. So when we talk about an RIR, what is an, what are some RIRs? Well, there's there's one, two, three, four, five of them in the world now. There's Aaron, there's LACNIC, there's RIPNCC, there's APNIC, and AFRINIC. So you can kind of guess based on their name. They're, they cover a, a certain ge- geopolitical domain. So Aaron is the North American um, registry. Uh, if you're in, it's wherever you are physically is where you go to get the resources. And so... That's just kind of, so if you're in North America, you're Aaron. If you're uh, in Europe, then you're RIPE NCC. If you're in Asia Pacific, then APNIC. If you're in Africa, you would go to AFRINIC. And, and this is loosely based on where you're going to announce that space from. Right. So loosely, though. Right, right, exactly. And LACNIC is Latin America, Caribbean. Right, right. It's, they, you know, it's Latin America. They say Latin America, but it's actually Latin America and Caribbean. So if you're in the Caribbean islands, it's there as well. Um, yeah. And in LRR, like LIR, you said, you know, it would just be your local provider, your provider. And so your provider might go to um, LACNIC or Aaron and get a slash 16. And then they might hand out slash 24s based on that slash 16 to their customers or to people in their region. I mean, it can right. it can technically be PI space. So let's talk about that PI versus PA space. So what's the difference there? So PI is provider independent and PA is provider aggregated or provider aggregatable, or I've heard there's another provider assigned is another way I've heard that put. Yeah. So basically PI space is you, you as an organization um, directly go to the reg to the not registrar to the uh, regional registry. And you say, I want this IP address space and it's assigned directly to you, even though you're not a service provider. Uh, for example, if you're an enterprise and you want your own IP address space, that's PI space. Uh, and the great thing about PI space is that it's portable. So if you decide to change transit providers, the way that you're getting to the internet, if you, you know, then you can, you're free to do that whenever you want. You don't have to renumber stuff. Whereas if you have, if you have PA space, that's assigned to you from the LIR. So they own it. They're in most cases, not going to let you take it with you. Um, especially with IPv4. And so you are forced to uh, whatever resources on your network, we're using those PA addresses. If you change providers, you now have to, uh, generally, you now have to renumber all that stuff. And, and V4 is not really available from any of those guys anymore, right? I mean, you can't right. get V4 space from APNIC or from anybody any longer. Pretty yeah, much. I mean, you can still get it from AFRINIC, I think, but it's running out fast. And in, uh, in RIPE NCC, you can, there's still, there's still a policy there that for, it's not going to last very much longer, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be gone really soon. So, so you basically have to buy it on the open market if you want. Right. These at this point. Right. That's right. The way it's working. And for V6, you have some listing here of examples of like Aaron already have an IPv4 address assignment from Aaron, intend to have immediately to be immediately multi-homed in V6, 13 insights, insights within one year, um, use 2K IPv6 addresses within one year, that type of thing. Though Under those conditions, they will allow you to have a V6. Where it gets really sticky is you got to make sure you've planned. Because if you don't do the within one year stuff, they will reclaim their V6 address space and then you're in a pickle trying to get everything renumbered and get it redone. Right, right. So 
it's a lot easier to get v, even when v4 space was available v6 was a lot easier to get but you still have to qualify and you still have to um, you know document how the how it is that you're qualifying the the biggest one is um, you, you really for pi space you really need to be multi-homed um, if you're not multi-homed you're gonna have a hard time getting uh, pi space v4 or v well you're gonna have a hard time getting v4 space no matter what but the v6 space if you don't have two um, providers, then you're not two transit providers. You're probably not going to get V6 uh, space of your own. Right. So let's talk about ASNs because that's another resource people don't think about as autonomous system members. And, right. uh, you know, you still have to get those somehow if you're going to peer upstream. Yeah. And these have to be globally unique. So they're in the same boat as IP address spaces. They, there's a, a resource. Uh, there's a number steward, which is the RIR again. So you go back to them you say, I want an ASN. Generally, it's not nearly as big a deal as IP space because nobody else, I mean, you don't, you don't assign ASN numbers to computers or to servers. You put the, you give them to routers and they're assigned to your entire domain. So it doesn't get the kind of press that IP addresses get, but um, you still have to have an ASN for your for your network. Some, some networks run multiple ASNs um, if there's mergers and acquisitions or things like that. Um, but, but yeah, you go to the, you go to the register to the RIR to get the ASN. Yeah. And, and there are two bit and or four, two byte and four byte, I say bit, but no, it's two byte and four byte ASNs. Um, I think the global internet now pretty much all routes four byte. I don't think there's any, right. I don't think there's anybody left who's only doing two byte that I know of. Right. But, yeah. That, that change happened in software quite a while ago. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. So when you, if you're going out for the first time to get an ASN and you get some gigantic number uh, with the, with this weird decimal notation, that's normal. <laughs> the number yeah, is just normal. really big. So yeah. yeah. It's really big now because it's a four byte. It's essentially the same size as a V4 address now, if I'm right. Four bytes. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So yeah. So that's good. So that's all we're going to cover on this one. And uh, we'll come back and talk about IRRs and some other things. Thank you for listening to the Network Collective. And thanks, Tom, for coming on. Now, you blog every now and again. Where are you at? Uh, I, I blog on packetpushers.net. And I also have uh, my own blog that I infrequently update at blog.tomammon.net. Okay. And, and you're on, on what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Tom Ammon. And I'm on LinkedIn, too. So. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thanks. And we'll catch you next time on the Network Collective.